excuse me while I get myself hooked up here. Keith has just read for us a very important passage of Scripture. Um, of course, there's no passage of Scripture that is more important than any other passage of Scripture, right? They all have their place. They're all relevant for different particular seasons and times of our growth. Uh, but this is a very important passage of Scripture. And let me just kind of share with you the flow of the argument. Um, and just kind of, you can kind of keep it there in front of you and just, just follow along as I give you that flow. Notice the word since, since, let us, let us, let us. In other words, because of this, we can do this. All right? Since we have confidence because of the blood of Jesus, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider how to stir up one another. Let us not neglect to meet together. What's going on here, if you notice the sense, the sense is all referring to what took place, might want to say, at salvation. It is the gospel. It is because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. He shed his blood. All the particulars, all the... the, all the um, the, the truths and the facts of the gospel are, are being realized and have affected those whom God has brought to himself, whom he has called. So maybe we could put it this way. I'm going to change the words a little bit. Because we have been drawn by God into his glorious family, because at conversion we were regenerated through the gifts of faith and repentance, and because we have new life, here's what he's saying. Pursue God. All right? Draw near to him. Don't let go of your faith. Always be reminding yourself of the gospel. And the third thing is, anchor yourself to the local body of believers who will encourage you, who will also admonish you. And the reason I wanted to begin with this passage is to say that this, this let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together section of scripture is built on the foundation of the gospel. We've just taken three weeks to look at the gospel. We took one week to look at the facts of the gospel. We took one week to look at conversion, which is the moment the gospel actually affects the life of a believer. And then we talked about evangelism, which is the proclamation of that gospel. But all of that is foundational then to what we're talking about today. And that is the church. And in particular, the importance of being a part of a local church. And you might say, well, duh, that's why I'm here. So say it, duh, that's why I'm here, right? I want to be a part of a... All right, very good. Yeah, never, just, you know, you've always wanted to say stuff like that, and, and this is the time you can, okay? Just so you know that, all right? But it's not just being a part of a local church. It's, it's going to the level of saying, I am joining together. I am becoming a member of a local body of believers. The one another that's being talked about in this passage is not the universal church. It is the local called out body of believers. All right? Those who have come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, those who have been drawn by God's grace with the gospel, have been brought into the family of God. That is who the church is, and that's who's being talked about here. So we who have been changed, we who are called to be together um, with Christ, we are also called to be together with other believers. That is the church. That is the true church. That is... God's creation, his administration, his, his body and his bride, images that he used to describe that church. And he loves that church, and so should we. So let's just pause right now and ask God to give us wisdom and humility and teachable spirits for what he has for us this morning, okay? Would you join me? Lord, thank you for the beauty of your gospel for the, the joy of being a part of this organism called the church. Lord, for being a part of your kingdom. Lord, we are in awe that you would, you would welcome us in. You would draw us, Lord, and, and bring us and allow us to be a part of your family. Lord, you would have adopted us and we don't deserve it. And yet, we're here. And we glorify you, Lord, today. And give us hearts that are humble. 
Help us, Lord, to be teachable. Help us, Lord, to be willing to um, consider things that may be our tradition for us, but may not necessarily be true. And in particular, with the subject of church membership, Lord, allow us, allow us to have freedom so that we can truly follow your will and, and Lord, do what you've called us to do. Lord, allow me simply to be your mouthpiece today and uh, that your word and, and, and your truth would press upon the hearts of, of your people here today. Your name, amen. All right, the question this morning then is this, why join a church? Why join a church? We'll get to that, in just, that quote in just a minute, but why join a church? It's a reasonable question, especially in our very individualistic, isolationist American culture. That's really who America is. Especially here in the Bay Area, you know, I'm doing my own thing, I'm sticking to my, uh, my life, don't bother me with your stuff. You know, it's very, very individualistic. Um, our culture is very, very self-centered. It's self-reliant. It focuses on self-worth and self-esteem and is consumed with its own self-fulfillment. And it's not that it isn't spiritual in some sense, but that spirituality is very much a personal thing and is considered to be off-limits for anyone else to have any impact on. And so church membership and, and bringing your, your, I want to say, religious experience under the umbrella where you're being held accountable to other people or to some standard is really foreign to the American psyche because it's, it's so individualistic. So this runs contrary to the norm of our culture, and yet, friends, it is very, very biblical. For many, an allegiance to a universal body is... Um, is enough. But when we, when we open up Scripture, and when we look at the subject in light of Scripture, that position of simply saying, I'm part of the greater universal body, is insufficient. In fact, you will find that it doesn't hold water at all. It doesn't measure up to Scripture. Now, um, you might say, well, Rod, that's just your opinion. The Bible never mentions church membership. You can't turn to a passage of Scripture and say, see, there it says you need to join a church. You know, why, why are you trying to force us into some traditional mold? We've got Jesus, we've got the Holy Spirit, we've got the Scriptures, um, I've got the universal body, uh, just, you know, isn't that enough? Well, the reality is, you're right. Church membership is not taught in Scripture specifically. But get this, it screams at us from passages that imply, because of what they say, that church membership is absolutely necessary. We're going to look at that today. What Jesus says, what, what the Paul and, and what Peter say, and what others say are, 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 can only be accomplished, can only be fulfilled if there is a local body of believers gathered together, united together, and identifying themselves as a local body of believers. Now one of the realities, friends, is this. Castro Valley, and I want to say the East Bay here in particular, is plagued with a problem. And it's a problem of a lack of appreciation for the importance of church membership. People will have no problem being a part of a church for a few months and then they'll go over to this other church over here and spend time there or maybe the kids go over here and you're over here and boom, boom, and you're just kind of floating around and you're all part of the various churches that are around and not pointing fingers at any particular church. But there, there's a lack of commitment to say, this is the body that I, we are placing our family under for God to accomplish his purposes in our lives. Right? And um, it's a problem. It's a very, very serious problem. And, and here at Gateway, we want to make sure that we have a, a biblical understanding of what church membership looks like. Because ultimately, we want people who are God's children who are coming to this church to say, yes, we want to be a part of what, what this church is about. Okay? So listen to, again to what uh, Lloyd-Jones says here. And this is so important. And you have to understand, this is back in, the, back in the 1940s. 
We must grasp once again the idea of church membership. Isn't it interesting? He's saying back then, we must grasp once again. All right. So there was a problem with this in that context. As being the membership of the body of Christ and as the biggest honor which can come a man's way in this world. Now, let me, if you didn't catch it, let me explain what he's saying. We must grasp once again the idea of church membership as being the membership of the body of Christ. In other words, church membership is not simply saying, come one, come all, just sign on the dotted line. Church membership is saying that the church membership should truly reflect those who are regenerated, those who are born again. Now, Mark Dever, who, um, who has put together the nine marks of a healthy church, um, is a Southern Baptist. And I don't know if any of you here have had any interactions with Southern Baptists, but in particular, um, out east in the south, um, Southern Baptists have a problem. They have a church with an attendance, let's say, of 250. But their membership might be 600. Do you see a problem with that? Okay, so in that particular denomination, everyone's a member somewhere in the community of some church. It was interesting, when I was in the South, you, you might talk to people about, you know, so what church do you go to? Oh, we go to such and such Baptist church. Good. Who's the pastor? Well, I'm not, you know, I'm sure. Well, you know, but we go there, you know, and people just are a member of a church, but they're really not connected with it. And friends, that's not what a church should be. A church should reflect who the people are and that they are truly God's children working together. So in their context, as he wrote these nine marks, he was speaking directly at that particular issue in the Southern Baptist context. But it is just as true for us to make sure that, that we are coming to God's word and we're gleaning from his, from his word a, a biblical theology of what it means to be a church member. So we're going to look at three different areas here. Let me just kind of give them to you quickly. Some common myths about church membership. Uh, we'll just touch on that. We're going to walk through just a little bit about um, the birth and growth of the church. And then we're going to kind of home down to three reasons why church membership is important. All right? So we're going to kind of just talk about the problems, kind of give some structure, and then we're going to talk about the importance of church membership. All right? So... Uh, let's look at these common myths, first of all, and understand that although these are myths, there are some elements of truth, some elements of truth to these myths, all right? Here are maybe reasons why people join a church, or reasons why people are encouraging you to join a church, but there are wrong reasons why church membership is important. Here's the first one, a Marine Corps syndrome. Only the truly committed our church members. If you're not going to be truly committed, don't join the church. But if you are, you're signing up for life. Right? You're writing it in blood. You're sacrificing your life for the church. Now there's elements of truth to that, right? I mean, the element of truth is if you're going to join a church, you can become a member of a church, that should mean something. There should be some teeth to that. There should be some substance to that. Um, but it's not just the few, the brave, the faithful that join the church. All right? The first one, right? Marine Corps syndrome. The second one, the first class flyer syndrome. Anyone here fly on airplanes? All right? Now, if you typically fly first class, I'm sorry, I'm going to be talking about you, okay? But the people in isn't it interesting that they, that they, you know, when you go on a plane, the first people that get on the plane are the people in first class, right? Now, unless it's some big, huge, enormous plane, um, you actually, if you're, you know, the peanut gallery part of the, church, the plane, um, you know, the, the seats that are like this wide and this tight, you have to get to your seat by walking through first class, right? So all those people are sitting there like, yeah, you know, get to the back. You know, this is, we are in the first class. And we are privileged. You see, we get, we get free peanuts here, okay? And, and you know what, we, 
we actually get pillows and blankets and things like that because we are first class. We're paying like four times as much as you, and, but it's wonderful because these things are all free to us. And you just kind of think through that one a little bit, right? All right. But there's this idea of we are, we are privileged. And, and here's, here's the thinking, that the, that the church somehow can say if you are joining the church and you're becoming a member, you are the privileged. In other words, if there's a potluck, you know, the members go first, right? I mean, that kind of a thing, right? I mean, that, we know that doesn't really happen, we hope. Um, although, it could be a, you know, all right. Um, let's leave that one alone. But the, the point is there's a sense of, well, you know, we're the, we're the real church. We're the privileged. We're the ones that should get special treatment because we are um, members of the church. Um, but that's not, that's not the whole truth. Now, let me, let me just say this. If you are part of the membership of the church, does that at least put you in a status of saying, I've committed, I've agreed to some things, I'm partnering with others in this, and therefore I have, I want to say, by virtue of my responsibility, the, the, the right to be a part of decision making if that comes up, or um, the, the, the opportunity of being a part of something because I've made that commitment. I, I think there's an element of truth there. But you're not walking around saying, you know, I'm a member of the church, you know, and, and you're not, so it doesn't work that way, okay? Pool association syndrome. You know, you're, there's some people standing at the, it's so hot and steamy on a California summer day, and, you know, there's kids around the, the pool, and they're, they're not in the pool, and they're not in the complex of the pool. They're standing around the chain link fence looking in, just wishing they could go in, wishing they could get in that water and just cool themselves off, but they don't belong. They're not part of that pool association because in order to come and swim, you have to be a part of that pool association. All right, now, we do have Alex in the back there. Everyone say hi, Alex. Alex, Alex is our, for lack of a better term, bouncer, all right? That's just, <laughs> all right? I mean, he's, he's the guy who, and Ed's back there too, but they're just, just looking out, just making sure everything's fine. But Alex is not there to, to keep people out. We don't, we're not about keeping people out of the church. I mean, what's the concept there, right? We're about welcoming people in. And yet, there can be a sense that people say, you know, in order to be part of our church, you know, you have to meet this and measure that and all that kind of stuff. We've got to be careful with that. Now, is there an element of truth? To be a member, you have to agree to some things, right? There have to be some things that you're saying, this is important, and we're, we're agreeing, and, and we're, we are uniting together, okay? But that doesn't mean that we are exclusive, all right, so you've got to be careful. You got to be careful with that. But you know, we want people to belong, but not truly belong. I mean, this, you got to be careful with that. All right, the parole syndrome. All right, accountability and rules to keep me in check. Now, is it is it good to have accountability and and some standards and some parameters? Is that helpful? Absolutely. And some people might say, you know, I need to join a church because I I need people to keep me accountable so that I won't do X, Y, and Z. All right. Okay, I get some of that, but that's not why you join a church ultimately. Okay. But that is a byproduct that comes with joining a church. All right? Next one. Celebrity preacher syndrome. Built on personality. You're here because you think I'm a superstar. That's what it is, see? No, but there are people that will follow a particular preacher almost like people who follow the Grateful Dead. What are they what are they called? Deadheads, all right? Groupies, all right? That's not why you come and be a part of a church. Listen, let I, I me throw this out there. When you have a big-name speaker that might want to say, resigns from a particular ministry and says, I, I'm going to start a ministry in such and such location, and whoosh, a bunch of people come, you've got to ask the question, why are they gathering together? Is it because of the personality? Or is it truly because they want to be a part of a church. And there's elements of good there, but there could be some real wrong motives. Right? You with me there? Okay. All right. Next one. The PBS syndrome. Financial giving to show that you are truly behind the church. Now listen, if you tithe, we have wonderful Bibles that we'd love to give you. If you tithe, you know, 10% at least. If you go up to the 15% level, we also have a CD that we would like to give you. And if you go up to the 20%, 
we actually have DVDs of previous sermons and church gatherings that I think you would like. All right, you, you get the point there. Is that, well, you know, the reason you join is because it sh your giving shows that you're behind what we're doing. And now there's an element of truth there, right? That as God's people, partnering with a local body of believers means that we're using our resources and we're pooling our resources before God as worship to him to accomplish the building of his kingdom. Okay? But it's not just about money. All right? So there's an element of truth, but that's not the whole picture. The Amway Syndrome. You join the church to have the freedom to network your business. Hi, I'd like to join the church. Can I have a church directory, please? Listen, it's happened. I know of people that they, they literally go into a church for maybe two or three years, and the purpose of that is to build their business. Now, they may actually have a walk with God, and it may be kind of, might want to say, a, a motive in their heart that, that they know and they don't think anything of it. They're, they're, they're callous in that area, so to speak. Or it can be, here's a strategy. But that happens. You don't join a church for that. Although, you know, um, and by the way, if you sell Amway, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to pick on you. You could put, you know, Melaleuca in there or whatever it might be, okay? But you get the idea, right? So these are all different myths, different reasons why people join the church, and there may be others that can be put in there, but can you, you get the idea that these are wrong? There's problems with this? Okay? Now let's take some, moment, some time here to, to think about the birth of the church. Let's go to a few passages of Scripture. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Um, And beginning at verse 18, Jesus is speaking. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Now listen, this is really, I want to say, the beginnings of the church. There's some things that are stated in here that are, that are part of the foundational principles of, of what the church is going to look like. But it's seed form. This is the beginning. This is Jesus speaking to Peter. And he says, upon, you know, you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Well, what is that rock? A lot of different opinions as to what it is. I believe the rock is referring to Peter's confession of who Jesus Christ is. That's what the question was earlier. Who do people say that I am? You are... Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the confession. It's, it's, a, it's a confession saying that a new season has come. The Messiah is here. The one that those Jews were looking for is you. That confession is the basis of the church. And of course, the church is used here uh, I believe this is the first time it's used in the New Testament, in the Gospels here, ecclesia, which means um, two words, out from, which is ek, and then kaleo, to call. So the church literally means those who have been called out. That word call is also the word that is used when we're talking about the gospel. It's the word that describes those who God has regenerated that he is calling to himself. So to call out is saying those who are the called, those who are his children, those who are believers who are gathering together. So the church literally means the called out ones. Okay? The called out ones then stand on this foundation of you are Christ, the Son of the living God. And in that passage we're told two things. The keys of the kingdom are being given to you and you have the authority to bind and to loose. So you've been given the, the tools in seed form here, but you've also been given the authority to, to exercise ministry to act on my behalf. That's the idea of this binding and loosing. Okay? So we see the beginnings here of the church in the New Testament in, uh, in the Gospels. Go to now Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 22. We'll, we'll call this um, Peter and the, uh, and the Apostles. Peter and the Apostles. 
Ephesians chapter 2. And we actually looked at this passage a few weeks ago as we were looking at the subject of hospitality. Um, but here we'll, we'll look at it from the vantage point of the church. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So there's the hospitality factor. You were aliens, you were strangers, but now you've been brought into the, the, the family, into the household of God. But notice what it says here. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, I mean, all this imagery here about building and growing and being joined together. There is this organism called the church that is built on the foundation of Christ and the apostles. Now, just for the sake of, I don't have it up here, but you can, uh, you can I guess, listen. For the sake of um, just clarity and, and seeing how the New Testament unfolds, in Matthew we find the church is introduced. It's introduced in the book of Matthew. Because right, I think in your handout you have some blanks here to fill in. So I want to make sure you get that. The church is introduced. In the book of Acts, we find the church is unleashed and expanding. And we just see the, the church growing and, and reaching all these different areas. In Ephesians, we find the church is explained and organized. Okay? So it's, in Matthew, it's introduced. In Acts, it's unleashed and expanding. In Ephesians, the church is explained and organized. And then you get to Corinthians. And the church is corrected. All right? I mean, the whole book of Corinthians is all about, ah, uh, you got a problem here. Ah, uh, you got a problem here. <laughs> and here, and here, and here, and here, and here, and here, and here. All right, let me tell you what you need to do. All right? Um, which is helpful, isn't it? I mean, it's helpful to know that churches can be going off in a different tangent, and they need one of God's men to kind of steer them back to where they need to be. So Corinthians is a great book. And in the pastoral epistles, you find that really what's being talked about there is the conduct of the church. It's really the idea of the behavior of the church is really fleshed out. Um, in particular, the book of Titus there. Okay? But this is all Peter, this is the apostles, all you know, now speaking about the church and, and laying on that foundation of what Jesus Christ said to Peter. And all this is taking place and we see the church beginning to grow and having shape and, and uh, structure and form and, and movement and activity and standards and principles and guidelines and all that kind of stuff is taking place. And then we come to us in the 21st century. Now, friends, hear this. The, the, the issue isn't, should I submit myself to frail and faulty human beings who are imperfect in their attempt to be the church in the 21st century? Let me pause there. I've heard people say, you know, I don't want to be a part of the church. The church is full of what goes in the blank? Hypocrites. Hypocrites. And my answer is, then why do you go to Safeway? Aren't there a bunch of hypocrites in Safeway? Are there? When you go shopping at Safeway, are you walking next to hypocrites? Sinners and backbiters? Are you not? Yeah, well, well that shouldn't happen in the church. Well, then you have a, a wrong construct of what the church looks like. You really have a wrong construct of, of the gospel. Because the gospel doesn't necessarily mean that people are no longer hypocrites and backbiters. It simply means that, that hypocrisy and backbiting has been paid for by the blood of Jesus. Now, I am changed at salvation. I'm reborn, regenerated. I have a new life. I have a, 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 new, uh, a new purpose. I have a new master. But I still have the taintedness of the habits of my sin that I bring into my Christian life. And that's why I still struggle with sin. Because those habits are still there. Those thinkings are still there. The, the lingering effects of my old man are still there that I wrestle with. And we've got to be honest about that. The church is not going to be perfect until we stand before Christ in heaven. And understanding that means that we will have grace as we interact with each other and help one another and counsel one another with the sin struggles that we have. 
So, so understand that. You know what? You say, I don't want to go to that church because it's full of hypocrites. You're saying, well, where are you going to go then? And in fact, if it was perfect and you showed up, guess what? It's trouble now. <laughs> so just, just be honest about what the church looks like. The, the issue is this. Should I submit to Christ, who has established the church to be fleshed out in local contexts, so that they can meet each other's needs, as well as be a testimony of Christ in the community? Now, we want, we want to strive for godliness, Right? We want to strive for honoring God with our lives. We, we want a church to have a good reputation. Part of a church having a good reputation is when there is sin, that it is named as sin, and that it is dealt with as sin, and that it is confessed as sin, and it is forgiven as sin, so that the church doesn't look at us and say, well, see, you guys call yourself Christians, and you, you go and do whatever, and you don't care about it. No, we're struggling individuals too, and when we sin, we need to be honest about it. And we need to rest on God's grace and His goodness that, that He will forgive us of our sin. Okay? And we, we've just, oftentimes it's got us this distorted perspective of what the church is to be. Christ has given the keys of the kingdom to the church and has granted the church authority to carry out His will. He loves the church. He created the church. He, he established it there and you know, say the, the Gospels, but he, he fleshed it out and he gave it form and, and purpose and principles and guidelines as the rest of the New Testament has unfolded. And we are blessed to have all of those things to help us to be the church God wants us to be. Now, why is all that important? Because we're talking about church membership. We're talking about if that church is God's organism for the local body of believers, then why is it important that I'm a part of that? Okay? So, next question then is this. Reasons I should join a church. And we will spend the next uh, 15, 20 minutes on this. Okay? Well, let me ask you this question. What's the worst thing that can happen to a Christian? This is audience participation time. Okay? What's the worst thing that can happen to a Christian? Suffering. Persecution, sickness. Okay, for them to not be challenged and grow. Say what? Not to be tied into a local church. Doubt, worry. Okay. Not to be corrected. Okay. It's interesting that a number of what things that you said all reflect the need for other people in your life. Okay? Um, it's not persecution. It's not suffering. It's not sickness. It's not injury. It's not death. The Apostle Paul took pleasure in his infirmities. Did he not? Right? Jesus told his followers that they would be persecuted. And they're not really being persecuted because of you. They're being persecuted because of me is what he said. He said, not to be afraid of those who can kill the body, but that's all they can do. The thing that should make us tremble is the prospect of being overtaken by sin. And then second to that is having no one there to help us when we are. Now just think about that. Now, I'll be very careful here in what I say. For many in the church in America, that would not be the most important thing. <laughs> because sin is not that big of a deal. It's just growing an organization. But if we understand our nature, if we understand that we are bent towards sin, but God has recreated us, but there's still this lingering sin presence that we struggle with, if we are drawn away and we sin, and there's no one there to help us, we're really in a difficult spot, and we're in a dangerous spot. So here's the first reason why I should join a church. To be safe. I place myself under the umbrella of the local church for the purpose of Christ-like, God-ordained safety, in particular as it relates to my struggle with sin. 
Listen, sin is what Christ suffered for. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit and invites discipline of the Father. And sin, if characterized in the life of a believer, may, may indicate that their profession is false. But now we go to this, this passage of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. Here's why this particular passage is here. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, this is a letter written to believers. So he's writing to believers, which means that believers can be what? Hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And what is the, what is the mechanism that he says here is necessary so that that will not take place? Exhorting one another every day as long as it is called today. In other words, being together. Who is this, who is this kind of, you know, exhorting one another? If, it, if we say it's the universal church, we're just kind of walking through life and we fall into sin. Hopefully someone out there that's a believer is going to know that I'm a believer and is going to come and they're going to, they're going to counsel me. But how do we know who they are? If we're just, just holding on to this universal church thing, which universal church is the unseen body of believers around the world that are true believers, right? But God has called local bodies of believers to gather together. And those local body of believers are the one another's that say, in this particular context, you're struggling with something. I can come alongside. I can come and help you. Satan wants to devour us, Scripture says. He wants to tempt us to sin. And so we need each other. We need the support of one another. We need other people to, to be our eyes in the back of our head to help us. Now, you say, well, wait a second, this is kind of, you know, people are kind of coming into my territory and, you know, this is, this is my walk with God. And Listen, understand, your walk with God, if you are just viewing it as an individualistic thing, you're not viewing it biblically. Because what God communicates in His Word is the need for the church and you to be a part of that church and that they're all different parts that have function and we are to function with one another. We need each other, Right? The hand doesn't say to the foot, what? I have no need of you. Hand needs a foot. Maybe the foot needs a hand more than the hand needs the foot, right? I mean, it's kind of hard to scratch your hand with your foot. But anyway, just get that imagery out of your head, right? All right, we can battle alone, but the tone of Scripture is that the called out assembly is to be united with each other in the battle to pick up the wounded, to strengthen the weak, fight for one another. God has not created us as his workmanship in Christ to tough it out alone. He's called us to be created in Christ to unite ourselves to a local called out assembly who will both admonish and encourage us. So to put it another way, we are, we are not called to live the Christian life apart from the church we're called to live our lives as we are united to the local body of believers. Now one example of that is found in Galatians. Galatians 6.1. If you would turn there, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Just give you an example of this. Galatians is written to believers. So you've got you to think about this. And it's written to a particular church. The church in Galatia. And Paul says here, chapter 6 verse 1, Brothers... All right, believers, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now, this could be talking about those who are unbelievers who have fallen into the difficulties of sin, but he's speaking to the body here. And if you're talking about restoring someone, then you have to be somewhere in order to have fallen apart, to be restored, right? So it's very, very likely the application here is to believers in particular. So that's the body of Christ looking out for its own. If anyone is caught a trespass, you who are spiritual should restore him. The idea of restore is like that broken bone being mended, right? That's a call for the church 
to love on itself when it's hurting, to pause and to, to in, in, encourage and to restore that person. That passage is a beautiful one. There's more to it than that. But listen, when a person is, hasn't joined a local church and considers his Christianity a private thing, when he is overcome by sin, he has no one to rescue him through such accountability. That's a pretty sad reality. And I think there are probably people out there who are struggling with sinful issues who may have a walk with God but have not been convinced because the places where they've been going to church have not fleshed this out to say you need to unite yourself and be a part of a local body of believers. So what's the, the first reason to be safe? Yes, why? Because your spiritual soul um, is desperately in need of being safe and being a part of that church. Here's the next one. To be obedient. We're given specific instructions in Scripture, specific commands that we cannot keep unless we are joined to the membership of a local called out assembly. And we're going to look at three here briefly. The first one um, we're going to spend more time in next week. It's called Biblical Church Discipline. Um, but uh, there's two more after that. But turn your Bibles to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verses 15 um, and following. I'm just kind of use this as a primer for next week, but also understand that this is in the context of what it means to be a church. Again, this is in Matthew. This is Jesus speaking. This is the Gospels. This is early on. But this is Jesus speaking about how we are to relate to one another when someone sins against us. Someone who is another believer sins against us. Matthew 18, beginning at verse 15. If your brother sins against you, and just note, if your brother okay, sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Now, four steps really here to what's going on in the process. All right, confrontation between that person personally, privately. When that person sins, you go you know, one-on-one, -on -one, you exhaust that, you take two or three with you to be witnesses, to make sure that you're doing what you need to be doing before God, and that person is, has the opportunity to, to do what's right before God. If that doesn't work over time, exhaust it, then you tell it to the church. All right? And the last one is then they don't respond then. You put them out of the church. Now, am I saying that? I mean, is, that, is, this, is this Rod Phillips coming up with an idea and a paradigm? Or is Jesus saying this is the paradigm? Okay? Now you might say, I don't like the paradigm. Then don't argue with me. You have someone else with much greater authority you can argue that with, right? The point is, this is a, this is a, a system of love and care for one another that Jesus himself has established for us to follow. Now isn't it interesting that it's really in that particular context of conflict resolution that we find that expression that is usually used to discuss prayer. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them, is not talking about let's get together and pray. It's saying let's get together and deal with this conflict issue. God is all about God's people coming together and resolving conflict. Anyone here have conflict this week? Okay. Anyone like to have some conflict this week? The reality is there will be conflict. We're a, we're a young, new church. Do you think we've already had conflict? I didn't want to say anything, Pastor Rod, but you know. Yeah, there, you know, there's been conflict, but you have, here's a biblical paradigm to say, here's how we're going to deal with it. Okay? You can't do that. You can't be faithful to this passage of Scripture unless what? Unless you know who the church is. How can you tell it to the church 
unless you know who that church is, unless it's some identifiable measuring stick that this is a church. I mean, what, you know, so if someone sins against you, do you say, all right, hey, uh, KFAX, um, I need for you to put an advert on uh, the radio um, because this person sinned against me. Um, how many times can it run? What's it going to cost? You know? Or you go to, you know, Turner Broadcasting Network, you know, and proclaim it there. That the universal church can hear about this conflict. Is that what's going on? No. It's clear that this is about a local body of believers. How do you know that? Because he's talking about take two or three with you. Where two or three are gathered together in my name. Right? It's all talking about this personal interaction between those who are the church. And according here to verses 18 through 20, the church has the authority to act, to bind, and to loose. In other words, to make decisions based on the evidence that is before them. And to do it by faith and, and with wisdom for the glory of God. Okay? So that's the first one here as far as being obedient. Here's the second one, shepherding. Um, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. I think you have that in your text or your handouts there. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. We cannot be faithful to this verse of Scripture unless we are joined to a local body of believers. Question, and this is what everyone who is a part of a church needs to ask themselves. Who are your leaders? You know, there should be some some people come into your mind, all right? Who are your leaders? How do you show that they are your leaders? How do you submit to those leaders unless you join yourself to the organization that has placed them as leaders? Well, some might say, well, I consider John MacArthur to be um, my shepherd, my pastor. No offense, Pastor Rod, he's a much better teacher than you are. No offense taken. Honestly, no offense taken whatsoever. But let me ask you this question. How can John MacArthur be your shepherd? When you're sick and in the hospital, is he going to come visit you? Is he? No. If you don't know who John MacArthur is, he's a radio preacher. Okay. When you die, is he likely to do your funeral? When you're struggling with a, a marital issue and you need someone to talk to, is he likely going to be that, you know, on your, your top five on your phone and he's going to pick up and say, oh, oh, yeah, sure, I'll come over and help you out? Is that the reality? Absolutely not. Now, do I like him? Absolutely. And if you have opportunity to hear him, listen and listen. There's other guys I would say that too, also. But we've got to be careful that we don't, we, we don't forget that a local body of believers is a you know, gathering of God's called out ones who then have structure, and that structure means leadership. That leadership cannot exercise their responsibilities if there is not some kind of a measuring stick or identification as to who their flock is. And the, the people that are claiming a particular leadership need to be able to identify that this is our leadership. This is our church. These are the ones who are caring for us. This is, these are the ones that we want to be over us. As I've counseled people, one of the, you know, if, if they're not from the church that I am pastoring, I ask them, well, have you talked to your pastor? Well, I just don't know that I can talk to my pastor. I'm, um... All right, then we have a greater problem than the problem you came in with. All right, this is, you know, all right. and oftentimes people will go somewhere else to get counsel rather than to their own church. I ask, who are your shepherds? What church are you from? Why are you not asking them for help, right? And I, and I don't mean this, you know, in, in a sense of I don't care about you, but, but as, a, as a pastor of a church, I want to know who my flock is so that when my flock is in the hospital, Hopefully not all at the same time, okay? But if, well, that could be handy, all right? Um, but, <laughs> but, I mean, hey, listen, you know, you, you go up, I, I want to be able to make sure that either I or someone else as part of the church is visiting you, is caring for you, or, or taking care of your family, or whatever it might be. 
I just gave you honestly some scenarios that are very uncomfortable. You have someone who's been attending a church, maybe, you know, say in my situation, the church that I was pastoring here in this area, and they end up going to the hospital for something. I walk into their room to visit them, and as I walk in, I see another pastor from across town in that room. Do I like that pastor? Absolutely. Good friend. Good guy. Loves the Lord. But we're both looking at each other kind of confused, like, all right, is this one yours or is it mine or what's going on here? And, you know, and if this person passes away, you know, who's, who's the responsible party here to care for? I mean, it's confusion, right? Okay. There's a need here if we're going to say obey your leaders to be able to identify who your leaders are. And if we're going to do that, you have to say that they're a part of an organization called the church. And which church is that organization that you are aligning yourselves with and putting yourselves under? Okay? Acts 20, verse 28. You can listen or, or turn there. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, speaking here to pastors, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. I should say, speaking to, to elders, really to care for the church of God, which he had obtained with his own word. So notice he says here, there is a particular flock that these overseers are looking after. Okay? And you go to 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 3, the flock here is identified as those entrusted to you. So as, as a pastor, if you are ultimately going to be a part of Gateway Bible Church, you are saying... Um, we, we want you as our pastor. We want the leadership that this church presently has to be our leadership. And I'm looking at you saying, God, you've entrusted these people to me. Therefore, I am responsible to make sure that their needs, spiritual needs, other needs are cared for. There's a partnership. There's an understanding that's going on. You with me there? Can't take place unless there's something formal, or you might want to say structured in place, all right, called the church and the local church. Here's the next one. Caring, all right? Um, Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Notice what it says. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So, let's do good to everyone, but but uniquely to the body of Christ. And it's interesting, as we look through the pages of the New Testament, you'll find, in a number of occasions, um, a, a, an instruction to go take care of widows. And even widows indeed. In other words, they had, they had a designation of widows, and, and particular widows that had special um, qualifications to be able to be the recipients of stuff. In other words, there was organization and structure laid out for us in those instructions and, and what they're talking about. There seems to be membership roles, so to speak, to legitimize the true need and responsibility of those widows. All right? So the bottom line is this, that when we, when we can't really... We really can't keep these commandments that we've talked about here relating to discipline, shepherding, and caring um, unless there is some kind of structure or mechanism that identifies people as being a part of a church. All right? And the, the, this is the ultimate issue. If we're going to be followers of Christ and if we're going to further um, be taught by the Holy Spirit through the epistles, we must place ourselves under the umbrella of the church. Now, let's go back to the discipline thing. It talks about the fourth step of church discipline being that that person is treated as a tax collector. You go back to actually 1 Corinthians um, and it talks about a person who was in sin and Paul saying to that, to that church, you need to put that person out of the church and the language he uses is deliver that person to Satan. Yikes. And when I read that, I have these pictures of the, you know, of the, of the um, fiery, um, uh, the fiery pit of Molech, if you know what I'm talking about, where they would throw babies, you know, and it's like, you know, delivering to Satan. Well, the, the whole idea is that, that the church is, I want to say, a, a, a protective refuge for God's people. It's like that umbrella. And when that person is no longer a part of the church, where are they? They are in Satan's realm. Remember, he is the prince of the power of the air. He's not in hell. 
He has been given this arena as his domain. In that arena are these pockets of safety and protection called the church. They're local pockets. All right? Um, and so when that person is delivered unto Satan or is put out of the church, so to speak, they're put in a realm um, of really um, unsafety. And they're, they're going to be pummeled by the things of this world. Another reason I should join the church is to grow. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but more or much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, that expression, work out, is not talking about this kind of workout, right? Now, if you're like me, you probably need to do a little bit more of this kind of workout. Um, I wouldn't get down and show you crunches or anything because I probably wouldn't do a good job. But the kind of working out here is pursuing Christ-likeness, growing in godliness. All right? it, is your own, it is your own pursuit of being Christ-like. It is growth. So God is saying here through his word that the arena in which we grow is through this local body of believers. He's speaking here in the book of Philippians to a particular church and he's saying, therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now not only in my presence but much more in my absence work out your salvation with fear and trembling and this, the church should, is the context in which that takes place. It's where I need to know him and his word and his gospel, where I apply it, where I proclaim it. We need the body of Christ to help us do that. Now, kind of add to that, look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15 and following. Ephesians 4 and verse 15 and following. It says this, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which it is, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Speaking there not about the universal church, speaking there about the local church. Right? All of us come into the context of the church and we bring into this context various gifts spiritual gifts, various talents that help to do what we need to do. It's interesting, you know, as, as we look at our gatekeepers and the gifts and the skills of our gatekeepers, the guys that are helping me in leadership here, that each has a unique gift, a unique bent, and they're exercising that gift in the context of the administration of what we're trying to do here at Gateway Bible. And you, if you are a child of God, ultimately when you join the church and you say, yes, this is where I, I want to place myself, you're bringing with you gifts, spiritual gifts and talents that can be used to accomplish God's purposes for the furthering of this church. Also to edify one another, to strengthen one another, and for them to grow. But you're also going to be receiving from everyone else's giftedness the same thing so that you can grow in your walk with God too. That can't take place unless you are a part of a local body of believers. So church membership is a covenant between a local body of believers who desire to live their lives in obedience under Christ, the head of the church. It is a promise. Now one of the things that we haven't done in this context is that we haven't talked about, okay, so, you know, so what are the specifics of the church and what, is, you know, what, what do you believe and what is the structure going to be? And that's what we're all, you know, as, as a church here, we're all working toward. If you haven't been to an information meeting, we talk about our core values. We talk about our doctrinal statement. And by the way, those things are on our website if you want to go there and look at those things. Um, but there's, there's some certain structures there that we're saying, hey, this is, this is why we exist. This is what's important about being Gateway Bible Church. And if you are uh, you're in agreement with those things and you want to be a part of what we're doing and fleshing out God's word in this particular context, then uh, we invite you to consider being a part of the membership of the church. But ultimately, it is a partnership. Ultimately, it's saying, yes, we agree that we want to join this body of believers as, as, as they pursue Christ together, as they, um, and in fact we can look at our mission statement here, as they exist to, to glorify God by being a community of believers who are actively committed to knowing, 
applying and proclaiming the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. See, we, we want to make sure that this isn't just something that we put together and then it's just forgotten. That this is really what we're going to be about. Okay? So the church is, is, is not just some kind of a, an organism that, that just kind of meets and you can just kind of come and go as you please and that kind of stuff. And I'm not, I'm not saying if, if you, know, you haven't been a part of church for a while, you know, don't, don't try it out and you know, we're, you're not welcome. You are very, very welcome. But ultimately, a child of God who's, who's been born again needs to be united to the physical body of Christ. You can't do that unless you're being physically united to a local body of believers. You can't be faithful to Scripture unless you're humbling yourself uh, under a leadership. And of course that leadership is there only because there is a called out group of believers who are agreeing together with a certain theology, a certain philosophy, and a certain direction. Okay? So church membership, friends, is critically important. All right, we have a few moments here just for some chit-chat. All right, so any, any thoughts about implications here? Any questions or comments that would be helpful here? All right, we've got a few minutes to think through this. That's a good question. Um, we haven't developed that yet. To become a member of this church, what is the process? I mean, we, we, literally, we have not developed what is the membership process yet. We will come to you with that. Um, but, um, I mean, likely it's going to be you have to agree to our doctrinal statement. Um, you have to affirm, you know, what we believe are our core values. Um, um, and, uh, you know, but the actual specific steps we haven't put in place yet. Um, so just letting you know, okay? We'll, we'll make that known. Others? Yes, sir? So this is almost like the beginning of the first church where basically Abel is starting all the you know, brand new church. Yeah. So starting now, you will be starting here. So kind of round four, I think. So you, yeah. in a way, you're saying that your membership is just coming right now. And your input is... Right. Right. I, let, me, let me qualify some of the things here. I think what we would like to see is that by our launch, that there would be a large group of people who have been part of our gathering that are saying, yes, we want this to be our church. So we want to have that process in place so that we can, we can apply it. And it really, what is the process? We're going through a whole process this summer of we believe this, we believe this, we believe this, we believe this. And these are foundational things. It, what we talked about as far as the gospel is concerned is foundational to understanding and to agreeing. This is how we're going to do ministry. Okay? So yes, there has been a process in place, and I, I really would think that we want to have that established so that when we have our launch, we can say, hey, this is the church. And you want to come and be a part of it now? Then come and be a part of it. Okay? Yes? So with the starting Yeah, yeah, I would think so, yeah. I mean, because we would need to be, your leader, leadership needs to be in agreement. Let um, me qualify. The gatekeepers are not elders. No, no, no. Oh, I just want to make sure as we're using that, if you understand, if you understand what I'm talking about, they're not elders, but they're, they're, they're men and their wives have come alongside with them to say, we want to be a part of the leadership. And some of them know, hey, listen, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the kind of person that would be an elder, but I want to serve God faithfully here, and we will over the next couple of years hopefully establish eldership. I just, just want to qualify that. Right, and I realize that, but I'm just saying that right now there are no members. Correct. And then that's what starts the Correct. Yep. So you have no leaders. <laughs> so, yeah, I've, so, so take this word to heart, but we'll do nothing with it because we're not... Uh, you know. All right, it's just the nature of where we are in the process, right? Obviously, and if there's a problem, we have a structure in place until we can... Listen, we don't, listen, the reason I brought up the eldership thing is we don't want to rush into eldership. It's a very, very important process to make sure that, that, that you know, the guys who are in, in, in that leadership capacity are, 
are, are truly qualified and have proved themselves and that kind of stuff. Okay, so um, the way we have things stru structured right now, what we have works, and uh, likely you know, some of the guys that are part of the gatekeepers will fulfill that responsibility. All right. Any other questions? Ultimately, that, that is the heartbeat of, of a pastor, of church leadership, is to care for the flock. Um, but it should also be the attitude of the church members uh, who are looking out for one another. And listen, if you, if you, see, if you see me sin, if you see me you know, falter in some way, and you can come to me personally and say, Rod, I, you know, I saw this, and you know, maybe I got anger at my kids, you know. Um, and I was, you know, beating them and upside down and, you know, he said, I, there's, a, there's an issue there, Rod. We need to talk about that. You know what? That is a loving thing. And we'll, go, we'll talk about that next week. We're, we're so offended easily when people um, may come to us with things that maybe they're struggling with. And oftentimes, when, you, when people realize what actually has taken place or... There's a humility that says, you're right, forgive me. You've literally won your brother. You actually build relationships through hardships like that. It's really it's kind of a unique, wonderful thing. Okay? So everyone get upset with each other so we can unite together and <laughs> reconcile, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? Let's have a um, word of prayer. Elliot, let's, um, actually, we'll, we'll sing, and then we'll have a word of prayer together. Okay? So he's going to teach us a new song. Um, all about the church.